This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you afraid? You should be. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. A face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods were mine. Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. They have no idea. What's going to happen? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. This is Take the Black, and I am your host, Razor, and I'm joined by three of my co-hosts, Isis, Corey, and Annie. How are you guys doing tonight, and are you excited about the first episode of Game of Thrones Season 6? Go, Isis. I am super pumped. I enjoyed it. Uh, I can't wait until we talk about it. I particularly really enjoyed our uh, live tweet um, it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we got to interact with a lot of people who are Game of Thrones fans who brought a lot to the discussion. So, hey, you guys who are live tweeting, we're going to try to do this every week, and I had a great time. Yeah, that was fun. And, uh, like, again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Follow ISIS on Twitter. Get, and give Annie and Corey a follow as well. They're going to be live tweeting when they can, and they're really fun to follow. Um, Annie had a particularly funny meme, the uh, Miracle Max meme at the end of the episode that uh, made me spill some milk out of my nose as I was laughing hard. Uh, and so we also have Corey and Annie. I'm glad you guys got to join us, and I'm glad that we're going to do this again this week. Uh, let's get right into things. Um, Jon Snow's body, the show starts, and first of all, Annie, you made a, a very uh, astute observation. It was like eight and a half minutes before the episode even started. Like, when has Game of Thrones ever done, like, eight and a half minutes of previously seen. Have they ever done that on a episode one? Um, yeah, actually, they kind of do on the first episode, but this one felt particularly egregious because it was just like, it really did feel like, you know, previously on Game of Thrones, seasons one through five. Did it feel, maybe it was because we're all sitting there waiting for Jon Snow. Maybe that's what it was. We're all sitting there waiting for Isis's little cinnamon bun. Like, we're waiting for the, the flowy hair, and we're waiting for uh, Kit Harrington to pop up on screen and open his eyes and go, Psych, I'm here. But uh that didn't happen and the camera panned down and and instantly my heart got ripped out of my chest because Ghost is howling. 
And if you're a book reader, you know that Ghost is mute. He's he's the he's the only mute direwolf of the whole bunch. So there's a you know as a book reader, you're like ah whatever, but still it kind of rips your heart out a little bit because um, when as the other children of the Starks when they died, their direwolves howled. And as you're reading the books, when that when that moment happens and the direwolves howl. It's always a really sad moment, so that's what kind of brought that that those emotions up for me, and I was like, oh my god, I, I don't think I can take this. But uh, Isis, I'm gonna go back to you really quick because you and I were tweeting back and forth on this point. When they showed Ed Toilette inside the room, and he's standing there, and he puts his hands on John's body and he closes his eyes, how much did that just rip your heart out of your chest? Oh man, it really did because you know I thought. At the same time, you know, we've always felt like John has been on his own, whether or not, you know, he was with mm-hmm. his brothers and sisters or half brothers and sisters, whatever. He's always really kind of been on his own. And to to hear um, ghosts crying for him was like, OK, he's not alone. And then to see his boys, you know, like, who do you trust? Everybody in this room. That's basically it. Us. We trust each other this is it and it was so nice to see that at least he wasn't alone in that moment um it really cheered me up for him to say he was my friend i was like oh my god i don't think i can watch the show anymore i'm done i'm done he was my friend and that's the thing is i i could watch like you know videos of faces of death but i see like a grown (laughs) man like have some kind of emotion or something like that god damn faces of death uh, yeah oh i know i'm reaching way back but i'm a little bit older than most people but anyway (laughs) you guys can for you youngins you could google it and you'll be like oh my goodness um but anyway i i'm serious like if i see like a grown man crying that that brings me to to tears um but it was it was very emotional and it was very I want to say just really strong because, like, at the whole time, I felt like the only real friend that um, John had was his little bud who's not even there anymore. And I just felt like it was really kind of one of those things that these guys would really – they would die for him, and, um, they, and they were willing to. Annie, I'm going to come back to you in a second for a, a, a book reader's point of view, but, Corey, let me ask you really quick. Um, how did you feel – about Alistair Thorne um, turning the turning the tide so quickly, like like he he made people like yeah I'm a traitor yeah I killed Jon Snow and I did it for a really shitty reason he brought the, the he he brought the wildlings over and he thought it was a really good reason and that made us kill him yeah we're murderers and all of a sudden the rest of the Night's Watch were like oh yeah okay that's cool no problem how did you feel about that that was kind of like a shitty moment to me what what did you feel about that I I've always really liked that character I mean obviously he's a prick but like I think he's a very well formed and well acted oh, character absolutely I agree a hundred percent at least we know what he is yeah well he's yeah it's a very good point is I think maybe he's almost a breath of fresh air because of how honest he is. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what made that speech so – I think what, what why he was able to get people to rally around him like that was because he was very upfront about it. So we killed him because of these reasons, and if you disagree – I mean he he didn't say this, but like if you disagree, then you know we can do something about it. But as it is right now, this is why we did it, and everybody – I think pretty much everyone except for John and a couple others, the guys in that room basically, were not really on board with the wildling situation. Right, and, right. you know, them saying that's why we did it and you know why we did it and, you know, him just kind of putting it 
on them and saying, you guys didn't have the balls to do it, but it had to be done. I don't know. I thought that it was a, a good scene. I thought that he did a great job. Uh, How'd you feel about the smug little shit Ollie standing up there beside them? Like, that really pissed me off. That got me. Like, I don't mind Thorne, because you're right. Thorne's a really good character. He's fleshed out, and we know who he is. We know what kind of guy he is. He's always been a dick to John. We always knew he was going to turn on John. As a book reader, I always knew that. Um, so I was expecting that. But there's Ollie, and he's standing there, and he's looking at everybody. And then he turns, and he stands up by the front, and he's staring at all the all the rest of the Black Brothers, and he's looking at them like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And I was, was just hoping somebody would just shoot an arrow right in his eyeball. I was just <laughs> like, oh, my God, I hate this little guy, and I just want somebody to kill him so hard right I now. I think that I've never seen a show do as good of a job with young actors as Game of Thrones has done. And the the kid that plays Ollie uh, has done a great job of going from being everybody's favorite little buddy to <laughs> to the one that tr- that see that's the thing is that there isn't uh, you know there isn't a fuck Alistair Thorne subreddit it's fuck Ollie nope <laughs> and, and is there a, that's that, true there's a fuck and really Ollie, Ollie is a kid and he's he doesn't know how to process his feelings and he can't we're asking Ollie to think. Um, you know, logically, can't you be more forward thinking, you 11 year old? No, and I can't. <laughs> 11. So like, you know, he hates the wildlings, and I totally get why. And he's very mad that his, his best friend John did that. And then Alistair Thorne is like, listen, I told you he's going to do this. And I think Ollie, um, personally, I would love to see, like, the, this is just, again, this is how good the show is overall, that it's got me cheering for yet another child to die. But uh, <laughs> I would love to see ghosts like just pounce on Ollie's face and eat it. And oh, like when that door opens, like he just beelines it straight for Ollie. Uh, that would be the best. But that would be—I think you would. There would be a thunderous applause that you would actually hear out in the streets. People would be cheering. There would be parties. Because about. it would be one of the few times this show has given us something to cheer for. Exactly. Exactly. I want um, Annie. I want to talk to you real quick. Now, you, as a book reader, you've read uh, the the end of A Dance with Dragons. Mm-hmm. We you know you know what happens to John. Well, we know that we know that he gets stabbed. We didn't know what was going to happen to John. We didn't know. No. Um, in the books, we, we don't know in the books what happens to him. Now, this is the show. This is how the show interprets things. This is how Benioff and Weiss interprets things. How did you feel about this this um, finality to John's fate? So, so far, well, I guess. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sing, but literally in my head, uh, you know, the, the song, uh, John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. Yes, that was yes. literally playing in my head. John Snow's body lies a moldering in the snow. I just, <laughs> and his soul goes marching on, um, you know, but the, one of the things that really struck me about the scene, and this is because I'm a book reader in the books, the wildlings are still in Castle Black. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. a thing that really startled me in this episode is that Ed has to have left Castle Black to go bring the wildlings back. The wildlings were allowed to pass through and they've left. And yeah, that actually really startled me. I was not expecting that. Um, it also kind of made it, you know, when the wildlings are there and they're being housed in Castle Black and the, the, the Night's Watch are being forced to share their rations with them and share mm-hmm. the bathrooms and share what water they have, there's a, it's a lot more intense and you kind of understand in a way, 
you know, why they, why why they were saying. I mean, they're racist against wildlings. Like, they are. They've been racist against wildlings the entire time. They've been brought up to be racist against wildlings. To them, wildlings were the, the, the others because they didn't really know about White Walkers. So there's a level where, to them, the, the wildlings are the real bad guys. Right. Um, so uh, having the wildlings have passed through and not actually being Castle Black, I thought actually, kind of, I understand why they did it. It's so that they can draw this bit out um, so that, you know, the fight doesn't happen until episode two. But at the same mm. time, like, I was like, you know, that kind of takes away a little bit of the punch. But, you know... At the same time, though, uh, Owen Teal did an amazing job with Alice mm. Thorne. I mean, he just yeah. did. Yeah. And that that scene was one of the best scenes of the night, along with the mutton one. Yeah, I – the mutton one. <laughs> I was going to say – Don't ask for mutton. Ask for turkey. <laughs> I mean, seriously, pack right if you're going to go traveling in the snow. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I was, I was going to say I think it was pretty obvious why they had the wildlings be away from Castle Black so they could extend the – the drama, at least one more episode. It's one of those things that actually is starting to annoy me about the show is how they they almost intentionally drop things out further than necessary just to keep like, – I don't think it was necessary to save that fight uh, for the next episode or maybe even the third episode. Let's be honest. There's no guarantee it's going to happen next episode either. They could, stay, they could stay in that room and play uh, Uno for all we know. <laughs> Uh, and also, I don't think that they're necessarily racist against uh, Wildlings. No, in the books they are more than well, – in the books it's much more obvious is what I was – I'm sorry. I wasn't oh. clear on that. I was going to say it was jingoism probably, but that's just... <laughs> 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 Well, you know, um, that was that was a really good way to open up the season, and I'm glad they did it that way, and I'm glad the battle oh, lines God, are drawn. Hang on. We didn't actually talk about the person that drove that scene, though. We didn't talk about Sir Davos. Like no, we are. We okay. are going to talk about, about Sir say, Davos. Man. We are. We are going to go back to Sir Davos. Um, but you know, while while we're, since you go ahead and mention him, we can all, we can stay here and talk about him. Um, Sir Davos actually was really. Leon Cunningham was very brilliant in those scenes, and he was brilliant from the word go. When he's sitting on the bed, he's still like you can tell that he's still in mourning for for Shireen and and, and for Stannis because he's sitting on the side of the bed. And he's hanging his head, and he's he's all sorrowful, and, and he's he's sad. And then he hears ghost howling, so he comes down the stairs, and he sees John. And then he rallies the friends of John, and they go up in the room, and he's and like he's just brilliant the way he, he the way he's real witty with uh, Alistair Thorne, like you know bring you know bring mutton, and then he tells him I've I've been dealing with these men my entire life, and, you know we're not going to get out of here. But uh, there was a you know although he was really great in those scenes. The the gentleman who plays um, Ed, he equally drove those scenes quite well while he was there, and he had that he had that one line that to me could have battled for line of the night. Although there were some great lines in the episode, but he said, "If you plan on seeing daylight, you're in the wrong room." Ben Crompton. Yeah, 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 Crompton. Yeah, if, you, I, if you plan on seeing the day, you're in the wrong room. And that was like, oh my god, that is a great line because that right there, the battle lines were drawn. And that t- that told me that there was no surrender. They did not plan on leaving Castle Black uh, peacefully. And, and I, I was happy. And I agree with you. I think for me, Ed, his portrayal, he's really uh, – hopefully he will stay alive. I don't know if he'll make it throughout <laughs> season six. Um, but I really felt like he – you know, he was like ride or die. I'm I'm all about John. I'm sta- sticking with him. The only side note I had, and I didn't tweet this, but I was like, okay, so Sir Alistair, oh no, not Alistair, um, 
the other guy, the Davos. Uh, Davos. He was sitting in the room, like chilling, pontificating, and stuff like that. And he hears the wails of ghosts. And I'm like, okay, how did if he can hear the wail of ghosts? How did he not hear the fucking angry mob that just stabbed John? Well, they were quiet. They were relatively quiet when they when they murdered John. They like, were like the amount of they were people out there. that were out there. You gonna hear something? You know, no, let's not I, play. I, but anyway, let's not talk about continu- continuity. I know, issues I know. But I was, that was the that. only thing that like <laughs> took me out of the moment. Was like, how did you not hear the horde, the, the angry mob out there stabbing? You know, uh, flipping Jon Snow. But anyway, I, it's nor here nor there. I, I really, really enjoyed that whole moment because it it made me really feel like that John he was he was being a leader. And they really did have their back. And even when um, Sir Alistair was saying, like, hey, yeah, I killed, you know, our guy and, you know, he was our leader and stuff like that. But I did it for this, this and that, whether you agree with him or not. But there were still guys in that room that didn't agree with him, you know. But Alistair was, like, basically like, all right, well, you cannot agree with me and die or you can agree with me and be here. And, And it's like, what do you do? So, um, you know, and those guys really have no life other than being at the wall. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question, Corey, since you brought up Davos. Uh, should he trust Melisandre at this point? He let her in the room, and he even told them, well, we still have the Red Witch or the Red Woman. Uh, what, should he trust Melisandre now that you've seen that she's basically um, – the shining. This old, this old, the, yeah, she, she's <laughs> the ghost in room two thirty seven. Hey, um, look, when four hundred year olds you be, n- not look so good. You will. <laughs> what the hell, Yoda? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, though. Really, that is actually the line that I thought of when she took off the when when she took off. The, oh, I had. I, like, I totally had, Frank had that Yoda voice. moment in my brain as like mm. all of Twitter went ew, and I'm like, dude, mm. seriously, guys, yeah, no, it's just me. an old woman. Let's not be ageist. Let's not be sexist. When you're 400 years old, you're not going to look so good either. And I really don't want to talk about the Melisandre reveal just yet. We're going to come back to that. But I just want to ask you, Corey, since you brought it up, does he? Should he trust her at this point? I mean, she killed Shireen. She burned her, and she betrayed Stannis because she read the fires wrong. She read the, the, the whatever. She she led him down a wrong path. She saw the the sight wrong. She she interpreted her dreams wrong, and because of that, Stannis is dead. Um, Selyse is dead, and Shireen was burned. All of that because M- Melisandre did the wrong thing or interpreted her dreams and the fires wrong. So should he trust Melisandre at this point? I mean, I think he has no choice or anything else. You look at the yeah. situation they're in. I mean, he knows that she can be a X factor uh, if she gets to the room, if she comes back. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I feel like that Davos and the Red Woman had a moment last season after the girl was burned where they like yeah. made eye contact and you could tell that like, like she, she legitimately felt like not only was it her fault that she, as like it was her fault. Everything was her fault. Like everything, and, and she was just that wrong. look on her yeah, face. Yeah, look at the feet on her face when she comes riding through Castle. Because Black. you know, as we've established in this show already, is her god might be like the actual god. Like they can <laughs> raise people from the dead without being White Walkers, and uh, you know they have these. They can give birth to smoke babies out of their muffs. So, you know, it's, um <laughs> They they have these powers that are legitimate. So, you know, it's part of the first time in her X number of years where she's been like, 
what am I doing wrong? Have I, has God abandoned me? I don't know, you know, why why I'm in this situation that I'm in, and that's kind of because doesn't she like never really sleep? Isn't that a thing with her? That's, yeah, that's, that's a thing. The, the fact that we book. saw her going to bed was go to bed. Yeah, that way. Yeah, she. That's that's more of a thing they've described in the books than they have in the show. How and she said more times than not in the books that she has no need for sleep and she stays up and nobody's really ever seen her sleep or really eat for that matter. She doesn't really eat, take nourishment in that that much. Well, old people. So don't uh, <laughs> <laughs> if they do, it's like at five o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> anyways. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. There's a lot going on and, and Davos has to, I guess, take what he can at this point for, for, uh, for help. But, uh, let's, let's move past the wall for now. We'll come back. Um, let's talk about King's Landing and I'm going to ask you something, uh, Isis, as a mother, does Cersei get any kind of, of break for for her for does she you feel sorry for her at all now that she's lost Marcella? Like you saw her joyfully walking, gleefully walking down the steps to go greet her daughter and her her brother as they're coming back from Dorne, and all of a sudden she sees that it's actually her daughter's under the golden shroud, and the the prophecy's coming true, and that that smile the smile goes from happiness to sad and despair. So does she deserve a break at this point? She did the Walk of Atonement, and that was a horrible moment, and she spent time in prison, and now her daughter's dead along with her, her, uh, her son, Joffrey. So is it time to give Cersei a break? The answer would be no. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, all right. No, this is, this is the deal, is that as a mom, you know, I, I genuinely felt bad for her uh, as far as the loss of her daughter and, and the fact that she could see, you know, the goodness in her daughter and, you know, contra what, who she is and how her daughter, you know, how did I end up having this, this great daughter, you know, and look who I am, you know, look, that was a great line from her. How Marcella was pure and and good. And she she thought she couldn't be a monster anymore. if She had Marcella. So, you know, to see that, (laughs) that Cersei is, you know, realizes that she's just, she's genuinely not a good person. And, uh, and her daughter was, and then she was still taken away. Um, I really, really did feel for her for that portion. Um, because, you know, everybody talks about, Oh, love, I love my husband unconditionally. No, the only unconditional love is the one of your child. Okay. There's always conditions with a husband or, uh, or I should say with a, with a spouse, there's always conditions, but your children, it's unconditional. Um, so I really did feel for her in that fact, but she is no way, no shape or form in, on her way for redeeming herself. And, you know, seeing her interact with her brother slash baby daddy, I guess that's what we're going to call it, um, was really icky too. So it kind of went like, I you know, I understood where her pain was coming from and then it got really icky, but it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it was just one of those moments that, like, look, I can understand. I would feel the exact same way if my child um, or two of my children have died. And, and not only that, but she has this prophecy hanging over her head. Um, and I, I really did like the fact that her brother slash baby daddy was really trying to, um, you know, kind of say, oh, fuck that. It's that's not what it is. You don't even believe I was going to bring up. I was going to I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring yeah. that up. Annie, Jake, Annie, I was going to ask, go ahead. did House Lannister change their words now to fuck everything? <laughs> well, you know, 
I, in a way, I feel like that is Jamie trying to pull her out of it. Like, I think, I know for most of us, we expected when uh, when Marcella came back in a coffin under a golden shroud that Cersei would lose it. Like, I was yeah. expecting screams. I was expecting, like, Fire. her hair being, I, what little hair she had to be torn out of her head. I was expecting her to go around setting fire to things. And instead, it's this absolutely dead, like... All the prophecies are true. My life is fucked. My my life is over. Nothing matters. And that intense depression is not something that Cersei has ever really exhibited. So I felt like that scene with Jamie is basically him almost panicking. Dude, no, come back to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But do you think and it was because it was fresh from her doing her walk of shame, from her being in jail, that all of that kind of played oh, I into think so. yes, definitely. her being so reflective of like, oh, my gosh, you know, my my daughter. And, and, and she even says that she really didn't. I don't think she really expected her daughter to come back alive. She had. No, hoped, she didn't. She said she, but, she said early on that she didn't think she would ever see Marcella again, though it was less that Marcella would die and more that Marcella would be married off and travel is so long and so hard and she'd have to stay home and have babies and just it would never it would never happen they would never get to see each other again it wasn't actually that her daughter would die yeah hmm. so it was it was just a sad really uh, you know sad moment as far as her her children but you concerned. still don't think she deserves a break though you still think that cersei is uh unforgivable is well is she cersei you know, it's one of those things, and we'll talk about it, I think, in our next segment, is that uh, uh, we're, you know, there's some people that can still be redeemed. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even Reek would fall into that category <laughs> of still being redeemed. But I think Cersei is, has, is so far down the rabbit hole at this point that I don't think that her loss of a child will redeem all the evils that she has done. I feel sorry mm. for her children, but it's not, it's not going to, you know, like, Oh, poor you, that's a nice, that, that's a nice segue. We, I, we actually, will talk I do have one question before we segue though. Uh, yeah. Do you feel sorry for Marjorie? Um, no, because I honestly feel like at this point, um, she's going to, she's, everything's going to be okay with Marjorie. And that's not just because I know what I know of the season from, writing at Wick, I just know, I just feel like she's going to be, everything's going to be okay for at least Marjorie. I don't know about Loris, but she's, she's, sm- she's too smart. She's too cunning. And, uh, she's going to, she's going to find her way out of there no matter what she has to do. And, but once she gets out, she's going to bring hell down on the high sparrow. Somehow. But you Something's see, that's, happen. that's the thing is that I felt like her scene with the high sparrow um, she became reflective. That, oh yeah, you know, but that, she was that, like, that look, that look on her face though. To me, was like, oh, he just gave me a way out. That's what it kind of looked like to well, me. Well, and I understand that, but at the same time, she's she's also probably thinking about her part in in her, I guess, you know, being. I don't want to say evil. She's not evil, but you know, the things that she's done wrong. Um, you know, trying to get ahead and everything. So I think she'll become also a little bit more reflective. But I, I absolutely think that she's all about getting out of there. And I mean, but she wants to get her brother out of there too. But I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But the thing about Loris, the thing about Loris and um, Marjorie is they are just like Jamie and uh, Cersei without the sex. They're they're just as close. Um, they're. Th- they love each other. They're dedicated to each other. There's nothing that uh, Marjorie wouldn't do for her brother, and it's so I don't think that she would leave willingly without her brother. 
So I think that's going to come into play later on in the season. We'll probably see that happen somehow, some way. She'll probably come, in, come into contact with Loris, hopefully. We'll see that re- uh, resolved before the season come, uh, comes to a close, and we're only on episode one. Um, but uh, let's, let's go to the north really quick, and let's talk about Theon. Well, I don't want to get over this. I don't want to do this really quick. I want to stay here for a little bit. But, uh, Corey, um, last time we talked about the north in season five, you had a lot of, uh, a lot of great things to say about the, the <laughs> jump from the wall. And, we, you know, honestly, this is the first time we've seen Theon and Sansa since season five and the jump. We didn't know if they broke their legs, if they sprained an ankle, if they stubbed a toe. We didn't really know what happened to them from the jump. And... It seemed like they came out came out unscathed. So, how did you feel about jump, them running through the woods? I mean, how did you feel about that whole like they basically came out okay, everything's great, and now um, everything's going to be okay for everything's coming up aces for Sansa and Theon. So, I <laughs> I liked. I, I'll be honest. At first, I was upset that they didn't even try to address how they jumped from a forty foot wall. And just ran away. But then I was like, you know what? I'm glad you didn't because that's just more time dealing with this dumb shit. And I, I'm glad we can move on. <laughs> and, you know, then we get them running through the woods. And it's, uh, of course, it's it's cold. And, and apparently frostbite doesn't exist in Middle Earth or Middle Earth, wherever we're at right now. <laughs> but, you know, such freaking nerds, I swear. <laughs> Sorry, I got I got my magical kingdom mixed up. So anyway, they're at Epcot, and uh, <laughs> no, they, and they, they run through the cats. Exactly, they run through a frozen river, and nobody, nobody even sneezes or gets the sniffles. And then, uh, you know, basically, I was, I actually, I started to get a little excited in the storyline, guys. I'm serious because I thought oh. for a brief moment they were going to kill Sansa, and I was like, thank <laughs> God. Oh my it's God. the most u- the most useless character in the show, and I am including the fat kid that made bread. The most useless <laughs> character in I the show. He was very useful. He made pies. He did and hot he made, pies. He made direwolf bread. He did. Uh, no, I mean seriously. She up until that point, every decision she made was dumb. Every sentence she said was dumb. She had no clue what, what the hell to do. And then, of course, finally, Brienne of Tarth, she's now one of 142 of her oaths. She, she, kept, she kept Sansa alive, and, and Sansa, I half expected her to be like, no, I don't want your help, big woman, and, like, run away. Like, something else stupid. But instead, she gets to, she now, now they're all kicking it, and we got the, the, I don't know, the mystery team up in the woods, so... I mean, I'm I, I'm excited. I'm excited that we got to see Brienne actually fight someone again. And anytime Pod is on screen is a good day. Um, the most Pod was holding his own. Pod did great. The most interesting aspect of that, I think, though, was all the very subtle cues from um, Alfie Allen, uh, he, who plays uh, Theon, like mm-hmm. uh, him remembering, like, oh shit, I have like 15 years of sword fighting experience. Oh shit, Sorry. I. I'm actually a decent fighter, and I'm a, I'm a damn, I'm, I'm a man, damn it, and like like yeah. picking up the sword and like protecting Sansa and remembering like what it meant to be somewhat human. Like I don't think he'll ever be normal again. I doubt he lives much longer. To be honest with you, but um, <laughs> like I would, I like that because yeah. um, I feel like he was coming out of his shell in this scene. Like he came out of the reek, he, he dropped the reek 
act altogether in this scene. Like he he's no longer Reek. He's he's all Theon, and he like he, like you said, he picked up a sword. He uh, saved um, Pod from the Bolton Man. He rescued Sansa this time. Like, he, you know, they, of course, they made it to the cold river, and nobody came out with sniffles. But they were freezing and wet. And he hugged. Uh, he hugged Sansa. That was a very tender moment. They were hugging and for warmth, and it was very tender and it was very nice. And then when and then when Brienne presents her sword to Sansa, she looks over to to Theon, mm-hmm. yeah. and he nods at her. And I was like, oh my god, that. That's a big moment for the <laughs> And Padraig having to tell her what to say, I thought yeah, was that great. Was cool. like, I like that moment. And that uh, I will say yeah, this, I like too. Um, I, I was very – I don't know. That was some of the best choreography we've seen from this show, not counting the um, the big fight with all the zombies because like, that was oh, yeah. different. That was some oh, of the best like just one-on-one choreography we've seen in a long time because all the shit in Dorne has been awful. So we haven't seen like <laughs> – Good one on one or two on two combat. I mean, in a while, guys, and that uh, that was no, that I, was good. I actually thought that uh, the comparison of the fight with Brienne and Pod versus the Dornish women and the uh, and and what went down in Dorne was very interesting because with a uh, you know Brienne Gwen Christie and 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 I can't think of the name of the kid who plays Pod. Crap. Um, Michael. Daniel Portman. Thank you, Daniel Portman. The two of them made killing another human being look hard. Killing another human being is hard. They fight back. You know, it, it, it's it, it, it's really difficult. It's not pretty. It's not. And that's one of the things I've always loved about the Brienne scenes. When she fought the Hound, that was an ugly fight. She fights oh, yeah, ugly, you know, and I really I she brought that back, that ugliness to the fight, which I just I it made it feel really real to me. Which, yeah, she didn't she didn't come in with her Valyrian sword and chop everybody's head off. She was knocked off her horse, kicked in the face and still was able to somehow rally yeah. and fight her way through it. And that was that was brutal. And I love that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and you guys remember. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. Go ahead. Uh well, as you guys remember from last year, you know, Brienne's one of my favorite characters. I, mm-hmm. I love her. She's my spirit animal. Um, to see her riding in, and someone told me, I guess they were two minutes ahead of me, and they said, hey, you're going to like the next couple of minutes. And, I, and when I saw Brienne riding in in that horse, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I'm already here. I'm, I'm there for this. I'm all over it. I love the fact that she came in there with all the strength. I mean, it almost makes up for not seeing her very much from last year. And so I was like, oh, God, it is dick wrecking time. I was <laughs> here for it. I was like, I, as a matter of fact, that's what I tweeted. I was like, it's dick wrecking time. She is here. She's finally going to go ahead and um, and go ahead music, and make the this music really was exciting happen. for that. They they really did a great job with the music. Absolutely. For that scene. And Pod was like everybody said he was exceptional. I mean, you know, how do you not love Pod? But it feels like that whole season that they were stuck in that room. Like he actually learned stuff. You know what I mean? Like he learned yeah. how to wreck dicks and probably yeah, you know. He did. Wreck some punani <laughs> too at the same time because you know you know he. Was I just want to know where I want to know where that axe was. He sh- I wish he had the axe with him this time though. He did have that sword. And I was like, oh man. 
I, Where's I was, Tyrion's ex? Yeah, I know. I was fine with everything, and I just it made me feel like okay, this you know he was now worthy to be with Brienne and and run in Tyrion's crew. So I was really ex- uh, happy about that. I would have maybe been a smidge happier if it wasn't Theon who killed that guy. That it would actually been Sansa. I would have been like, all right, girl, yay! You're you asking know, a you're, lot. You're asking. Yeah. So what you're saying, no, but but what? No, hold on. What I think you're saying is Theon stole somebody else's agency. I feel like saying. no, no. I felt like when she <laughs> said she wasn't going to get into that river because it was too damn cold. I was like, bitch, you're about your your agency is about to get taken from you again. You better get, <laughs> bitch. You better get in that water now. And so the entire time I was like. I don't I don't see why you're complaining. I mean, you better get on Theon's back and you better better, you know, kind of swim or something. Um anyway, oh, man. Oh, I, man. I I love that that whole scene. That whole scene I kept thinking of people talking about triggers and agency stealing and I kept thinking, man, people are going to think this is so awesome and then when and then when he stabbed the guy in the back for pod, I was like, yeah. "Oh god, he stole somebody's agency. Yeah, he, he stole his agency. But it was really, I, I, you know, again, it just really kind of shows to me that she is just kind of in the situation. I don't really feel like she's ever been a real a player in the game at all. But she'll probably fucking be the last one standing. So before, before we leave, before we leave the north, I want to ask you guys. Uh, Corey, I'll start with you. I want to ask you guys about what you thought about Ramsey's scene with uh, Miranda's body. That was great because, first of all, it starts off really tender, and he's talking about how when he first met her, and like he's almost crying. He's almost like teary-eyed at this point, right? And you're, you're starting to think, wow, does Ramsey actually have a heart? And then he ends the scene with barrier or burner. It's all the same. We need the meat. Feed her to the dogs. Oh my God! Yes, there's the Ramsey we all know and loathe. I'm so glad he's back. See, but, but that I mean, just that goes w- in line to who he is. I mean, even in his most ask. his most That's tender moment, ask. you know. And so when they say that, oh, you know, Sansa's agency was stolen from her and everything. No, Ramsey was doing what Ramsey does. So it was not completely out of character for that or what he did last night. So that's my opinion. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I mean, he would to feed feed Miranda's body to the dogs. That's what he does with somebody he actually cares about. What do you think he would have done to Sansa if he kept, he caught her? That, that's what I'm saying. That that would have been horrible. That would have been a nightmare. But uh, before we before we approach and broach the subject of Dorne, um, I forgot to put this in one of our topics. We're going to talk about this really, really quick. Is um, let's go across the narrow sea over to Essos and where uh, Danny is right now and. You know, I thought it was really neat that she she's walking in the Kalasar now, and she's basically a slave for a few minutes, and uh, she's getting whipped actually. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, how the mighty have fallen. You know, like you're not arrogant anymore. You're not this haughty queen of Meereen. You're like you're being whipped, and they're talking all this shit walking beside you. And I even tweeted out, I was like, man. The, the the Dothraki are so romantic because they're sitting there talking all this horrible shit about her right next to her, and she can understand everything they're saying, and 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 then and then she gets in and she she reveals who she is. And I've been saying this for a long time. It's like every season of Game of Thrones, we have to have the same speech from Daenerys. It's I am Daenerys Stormborn, Targaryen, unburned, breaker of chains, mother of dragons, blah, 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 blah. I will take mine by fire and blood, blah. We have to have that speech every season, it seems like. And she basically starts to rally that off again 
this this season, and then he just laughs at her, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> thank you, somebody finally laughed at her. I'm so happy. It's because she doesn't get it. Like that's, she doesn't. That's get her it. Nobody character. cares who she is. That's her character at this point is someone who doesn't get it. Like she's she is great at riding in on a dragon and killing people and disrupting the flow of things, but she is an awful queen. Like she yeah. is bad at it. She takes bad advice. Um, she <laughs> she takes bad advice and she takes a lot of liberties with the stuff that she's very like. This will never happen while I'm here, and then she lets it happen anyway. And like overseas, like she doesn't understand why people would be upset with her because she doesn't get it. And then she's in a tent of a Dothraki cow or whatever you say that word, and um, she's spitting off all this stuff. Like any of that means anything to him. The only thing that meant anything to him was when he found out that she was married to Cal Drogo. So yeah, she doesn't yeah, get it. So- he, he honestly, like, she just kept rattling off titles until she hit one that he respected. And the one he respected was Widow of Cal Drogo. And suddenly Cal Drogo's name, like, gave her protection. But, you know, even though it gave her protection, it's, you know, so she's like, okay, awesome. This one will give me protection. So now you're going to let me go and I'll give you some horses and we'll all be great. And he's like, uh, no, if you're the Widow of a Cal, you go to where Widows of the Cal's go. Yeah. Yeah, it just bought her time. Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, we're going to Dorn. No, it it really did feel It really did feel like, you know, she just bought herself time, you know. I mean, at least she won't be uh you know, her agency won't be taken away from her or anything like that or whatever. I mean she'll she'll just Tumblr bullshit are we referencing that I don't get. (laughs) Okay, okay. No, it's a it's a long story, we'll explain it to you off air. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure it's, our it's something. Exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, it's something that we that happened last season. So we'll, we'll have to tell you like, later on. But I really feel like that she just bought herself some some time. But I felt it was so funny that friends, Sir Friendzone, and you know Danny's current lover, if you will, Mario. yeah, are uh, are looking for Danny and and you know. Man, they are some freaking awesome ass trackers, aren't they? Well, no, they explained that. I'm glad actually, they. Yeah, actually I was going to say that. that too. They did a great job of highlighting why it was. Because I was sitting there thinking, if there were ten thousand horses here, there should be hoof marks, mm-hmm. and they all rode in a circle around her, and she dropped her ring in that like six by six circle. Much okay. easier to find. Made a lot more sense. Uh, I think but that's still probably and then, I say. mean. Out of all the places well, before that, that they, they found the, they to. found the burnt. They, well, they found they, on the way there. They found the charred ram. So like they were they were finding clues on the way over there. Like they were following Drogon's trail of burnt crisp bodies. So they knew they were going in the in the right direction. Which <laughs> is like cool little to me. That crumbs. Means, <laughs> yeah, little breadcrumbs from Drogon. And that take heart, people. That means Drogon is on the move, looking for his mommy. So hopefully he goes and burns some dicks off in the Dothraki. Kalasar pretty soon, but we'll see that hopefully in, in, in hey, weren't those, two or three episodes from now. Weren't those wives a bunch of haters? <laughs> that's how that's how every Dothraki horde is. All the wives are always haters. They're a bunch of haters. I was just like, <laughs> oh, they just haterating on Danny, and and I was just like, damn. Can I, can I just can I just say that the best possible outcome to the storyline for Danny is her going to this retirement village in wherever <laughs> and. 
and becoming like the fourth becoming like the fourth golden girl and having like a thank you for being a friend like moments at the sa- very far south point of the map in like the Game of Thrones intro is just like like four gray haired, white haired ladies like sitting at a table playing canasta and <laughs> making catty comments to each other and that that is the best way for her storyline to end, in my opinion. So just throwing that Yeah. No, oh my I, God. I agree. Now, I, now I want that. Now I can't think of yeah, anything else. Yeah, now I that. can't think of anything else. I want that course. Before, before we leave Essos, let's let's go back to Meereen and Tyrion walking the streets with uh, Varys. And the line of probably the line of the night, in my opinion, is you walk like a rich person. Um, that was great. There's always great lines from Varys. Anytime Varys is in a scene, he's always going to deliver the lines. And uh, he delivered a line that actually uh, fan side just turned into a T-shirt for a winner is coming. It's called – and it's got the silhouette of, of Tyrion walking with his hands behind his back, and it says, you walk like a rich person. It's a great T-shirt, and it's going to go online pretty soon. Can so. you make a T-shirt of what Tyrion said back to him? Yeah, that's the shirt I want. <laughs> because you know you have no dick. Yeah, that was great. Uh, that was great. Uh, but uh, – and then I also liked how Tyrion told that lady, here, for your baby to eat. <laughs> He basically told a lady he wanted to eat her baby. That was awesome. <laughs> but um, did you guys catch something? I watched it today twice to, uh, just to see if I could catch anything I missed before last night. And my wife actually picked up on this. While they're walking, before they notice that the fleet's on fire, and I know you want to talk about this, Corey, because that really bothered you. But, uh, You're talking about the people that were looking at them? Yeah. yeah. Yes. The person behind the, the screen watching them. Do Do we think that this is – the Sons of the Harpy, or is this somebody else? Who's watching Tyrion and Varys at this point? Are you asking me? Anybody. I mean, yeah. Like, you, you want to talk about this. Let's, let's, let's talk about who's actually watching our, little, our favorite little guy, Tyrion, and his buddy, right. Varys. Like, what's going I'll, I'll make an out-of-the-box suggestion and say that it's one of Littlefinger's spies. And uh, somebody, uh, with ties to, somebody with ties to King's Landing uh, that is, has found... Tyrion and is trying to maybe plot a way to kidnap him or just kill him and take his head back to whoever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Damn. That's that's my guess. There we go. So I like the way you think. I like the cut of your jib, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't catch that last night, and I didn't catch it on the second viewing today. It was the third viewing, and my wife was like, "You didn't see that?" And I was like, "No, I don't pay attention most of the time. I'm always got my head." Thank in, God you're running this website and podcast. I know, I know, right? Anyway, um. So let me let me hear your thoughts again. We're going to stay with Corey because Corey was really upset about the, the fleet being burned. Oh. <laughs> let me let me hear you let me hear you talk about that. We are Corey. never ever ever getting the hell out of that city. For the <laughs> love of God, we spent a two seasons trying to get this bitch some boats, and for some reason. They catch on fire in the first – that was their way. That was one of two moments in this season or, or so far in this episode, excuse me, where they just like the, – the two showrunners look at the camera and go, sorry, we can't leave just yet. I know you really want to, but uh, the storyline prevents it. And so – They just gave a big middle finger to all the fans. Like, where it was like, I just can't wait for Danny to get back and get on her boat. And then, I mean, the moment after I said that to myself – it's like, oh, these boats are all on fire. What a dumb – we don't even know what happened, do we? <laughs> well, the it's, it's basically burned yeah. them is the idea. Yeah. We, it's, so it's, they, burned, it's, they burned 200 boats 
Just like that. Yeah. In the books, in the books, it's a a, bes- a sieging army that that burns the boats. It's another army that's that's. Well, in the show, area. it's nothing. And I it's, just, well, yeah, it's it's basically you you're led to believe that it's the sons of the harpy that do, that that burn the boats. And but I'm, I'm I'm here to tell you, my friend, do not despair for the uh, ships because there there's help coming, in in the in the form of another seafaring family. From Westeros, but we'll, 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 that's not for this show. That's for another time. Anyway, uh, no, you're right. There was a little bit of despair at that moment. If you, and if you didn't know what was going on, you'd go, "Oh God, we're never leaving. We're we are we're never getting out of here." I I like that. But there 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 is some help coming, and it's we're not too far away from that. And we'll we'll see it played out soon. Hopefully, in fact, I think in episode two, uh, Annie, right? Are we going to see uh, some great choice? I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. It I, is suggested, and yeah. we have we we have uh, clues that that could be, but it's not it's not official. Let's yeah, say that. We've, well, I know the synopsis for episode two and three came out, but I'm not sure if the, if those that family was mentioned specifically. But anyway, um so we can leave Essos behind now. We've talked about Danny and her speeches and, and Tyrion and, and all that good stuff. Now let's go to everybody's favorite topic and we're gonna talk about Dorn. Oh uh, here we thought we were talking about Arya. Uh, no, my favorite I, topic. I'm sorry. I, I know we said we were leaving Essos and I thought that we would come back later to talk to Arya and Bravos. Right, but uh nice. We got to get Dorn out of the way at some point, and I, I wanted to talk really quickly about it. Um, I just feel like at this point, uh, David Benioff and Dan Weiss were like, you know what? This has been an abortion, and we need to go ahead and stick a little vacuum cleaner in and suck it all out. That was the second it. moment that I referenced earlier was when <laughs> when they just had knife, knife, and then they just stood there. It was like, <laughs> all right, it's like we're done, and and the whole the camera panned out and just. <laughs> That's it. Yep. So are, we, are, we, are we done in Dorn? Please? Yep, Can we leave we're done. this place? No, no let's, let's leave Dorn to the silly place. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing, man. That, that was, was great. awesome. Great uh, <laughs> I just, what really bothered me about Dorn is it could have been so much better. And I feel like that was the weakest point of season five, obviously. You know, they won so many awards. And upon a second viewing of season five, it did not, I didn't hate season five as much as I did the first time I watched it. Um, but Dorn was obviously the weakest point, And they had to, they had to cut it out like a cancer. And this is their quickest way of doing it. Let's get rid of it in season one. I mean, episode one of season six. And not only let's get rid of it, let's get rid of it in like ten seconds. Let's let's kill let's kill Doran. Let's kill Hota, and let's kill let's kill Tristane. Let's do it really quickly. And um, let's do it really stupid too, because yeah. Doran, Doran's bodyguard turns his back on a sand snake. That's something that would never happen in the books. I'm gonna I almost want to geek out over that. And um, well, can I just say, as a show watcher, not to step on your toes, Razor, but as a show watcher only, I haven't read the books, I was promised that Dorn was interesting and cool and the people there were, were strange. I don't and, know who lied to you in the books. I did. I, Dorn, I no, 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 no. See, I'm sorry. I referred to the damn Dornish man and the idiot Ironborn, okay? <laughs> I was not pleased with either storyline. We are actually going to deal with the Ironborn this year, and I really hope that they deal with it better. I, I feel like with Dorn, the show made the same mistakes that the book made um, in, in that uh, Oberyn was an amazing character and mm-hmm. he went over so well in book three that Martin decided that we should go to Dorn in book four and 
No, no, we should not. Um, well, it's boring. Doran sits, the, Doran sits there in his wheelchair in the water gardens, pondering for chapters and chapters and chapters. It is painful. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the, the showrunners were like, we're not going to make the same mistake with Doran. And then they went and made the same mistake with Doran. Oberon was so popular. I mean, Pedro Pascal was in, like, you know, the tiniest bit of season four, and he was the season four runaway hit. So they were like, no, 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 we have to go to Dorne, and, and we'll do it differently. We'll send, you know, Jamie, and we'll send Braun, and we'll make it interesting. No, 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 it's still boring. Well, the horrible handling of the Sand Snakes is what made Dorne so terrible. Like, Alexander Siddig is an amazing actor, and honestly, the actresses who play the Sand Snakes, they're really good, too. They've all had their own their own uh, established acting careers, uh, you know. Uh, they've all done great things outside of Game of Thrones, but here they get into Game of Thrones and they all just shit the bed. And it's, I don't blame them. I blame the writing. I blame the choreography of the fights. I blame whatever you want to blame. blame. A little I, bit. I I don't, man. I I've seen Jessica Henwick, uh, who, who plays Lady Nim, uh, Nymeria. She's in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Will be in Star Wars Episode Eight as an X-wing fighter. Uh, she does. She did a great job in those films. And. She and then Ob- the, the the girl who plays Obara, she's she won an Oscar when she was younger. I mean, these actors and then of course, like I said, you have Alexander Siddig, an amazing actor. Doctor Julian Bashir, come on, what am I? What, what are we doing with this guy? We're just gonna let him sit there for a few scenes and kill him? This is a, this is ridiculous. And we didn't even get to the best part of Dorm. We didn't get to the fire and blood speech. And I know we didn't have Quentin and we didn't have Ariane. We didn't have we cut a lot of characters out because we didn't have false Aegon. Uh, the, the false Targaryen. We didn't have any of that because I guess you didn't you didn't want to do it in the show. We didn't want to bring all that extra stuff on the show. Blah blah blah. Whatever. But Doran was handled badly. I I am not like I'm not like you, Annie. I actually did enjoy the Doran plotline. I enjoyed the Grand Master plan because I I liked it to be linked up with Quentin and his travels through Essos. Quentin is such Miriam. a drip. Oh my god. Well, he, well, he is. What happened, happened to Quentin is that he got roasted by a dragon. No, I agree. I agree, but if you connect it to me, if you connect it with Doran, it's a great story. To me, I liked it. I thought it was a good storyline, and I love the Ironborn. I'm a huge Ironborn fan, but um, I just think that the show took – and you're right. A lot of people do not like the Doran plot lines in the books, and Martin himself – I don't know if Martin's actually come out and said that he kind of filled, did filler with that book or not. I don't know if it was Martin that said it, but that's been a big complaint about those books is that Doran was almost like filler. Um, but uh, I, I will I, I will begrudgingly admit that that could probably be the, one of the weaker points of a Feast for Crows and and and, and Dance with Dragons. But I will say this also: um, the show did way worse than the books ever had a chance to do with them. And and once again, here we are in season six, a chance to rectify our mistakes with season five. And even if you wanted to kill off Dorn, you had a chance to do it better than you you know you could have done a better job with it. And still, we had continuity problems. How the how the fuck did those two sand snakes show up on Tristane's boat? I Where thought the Tristane fuck was come? on the boat with Marcella. I did too. I was told that she he wasn't. Somebody told me he wasn't. I was I thought he was on the boat with Marcella as well. I didn't think he was. I thought that he was still in uh, Dorn. Dorn that he so, followed yeah. behind in another boat, basically. Yes. yes. Well, see, and that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense. Why? Why would you sit in the harbor of King's Landing when your girlfriend, a Lannister, or a Baratheon, but a Lannister, is dead, and, 
and your family has an ancient feud with that family, so why would you sit there and chill and paint, paint the eyeballs for the stones for her body? I would get the fuck out of there. I'd be like, no, I'm going home. I'm going home to daddy. But no, I, he, stu- he stayed there with no guards, and then, and then he makes the biggest mistake in the world. He turns his back on, the, on, on Stupid Spice with the, uh, <laughs> with the spear, on Speary Spice, and it's like, I knew that was going to happen. Obviously, I saw the leaked photos before that happened, but I mean, even if I hadn't seen the leaked photos, I would have known that he was going to get stabbed through the, through the back of the head. Wait, that was coming. Time out. Little... The girl, uh, Obra, is the chick from Well Rider? Yes. yes. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. What is a good movie? So what the hell's happening here? Mm-hmm. I told you, man. These these it's not their fault. It's not the actor's fault. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, anybody else have anything they want to put in on Dorn? We can or we can just go and leave this alone, like like the show has done. We can just leave it. Let's do anybody else have? I think let's okay. put a nail in it. Let, let, let's put a, a thumbtack in it and and just move on to maybe Bravos. Well, yeah, let's go to Bravos and, and, and let's talk about Blind Aria. I, I didn't have much – I didn't have any expectations when it came to this. I didn't think that Arya's storyline was going to be flushed out until like midway in the season. So I thought it was kind of cool she got her ass kicked, and it was and, – and I read an interview on, on Arya today, on Macy Williams today, and she talks about – she doesn't even think that it was the Waif being a dick. It was the Waif basically teach, teaching her how to fight blind. So, how did you guys, uh, you know, I, how did you interpret that season, that that scene? Okay, first of all, I'm all about Team Arya, and so when the Waif came in there, or as in the Winner Is Coming article called her the busted Kimmy Gibbler, which I absolutely <laughs> freaking loved, um, that article. If, if you get a chance, you need to read the recap of the um, of episode 601 it is absolutely hilarious because I read it today and it was just it was perfect and so yeah the busted ass Kimmy Gibbler was fighting <coughs> excuse me Arya and I just kept on going oh my god like she's blind what else do you think she's gonna do she's not gonna be able to you know protect herself so of course I was already hating on the the blonde, the the waif anyway but I get what she's trying to do she's trying to teach her how to fight blind and um or, or just fight in general without you know one of her senses or whatever the case may be I still didn't like seeing Arya getting her ass whooped where Sansa is still like walking around like Yes, you can be my, you know, protector, blah, 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 and stuff like that. Um, it just, it really kind of pissed me off. Um, I, They're I on opposite just, ends of the spectrum, though, at this yeah, point. One, well, they one are. Is, yeah. yeah, one Arya is, you know, on one, but I did love the fact that, you know, Sansa really does want to get her family back together, and, like, you know, that was one of her concerns, like, hey, you know, do you know where my sister is, and poor freaking... Arya sitting in Bravos, just you know, begging for money and complete. those are real contacts, by the way. Macy Williams did an interview during the, before the season and talked about how painful those contacts were. Like she, she took a she did an Instagram photo, didn't she, Annie? Yeah, uh, of, after, of, after of what she looked like basically with big uh, ice packs under her eyes because the uh, contacts are basically they cover the entire white of her eyes, so her entire eyeball oh. is covered. And so that fighting fighting while wearing those was extraordinarily difficult, according to her. And apparently she smacked uh, the girl who plays the uh, wave, Faye Marseille, apparently got smacked around and bruised pretty badly because, you know, Maisie was actually fighting blind. <laughs> it's not really Man. acting, though, is it? Like, it's more just 
fighting with contacts in and swinging a stick around. But like, the, no, but the contacts are painted white, so she can't really see. Yeah, no, I'm saying like, at what point is it no longer acting, and is it just yeah. making a girl blind and giving her a stick? <laughs> <laughs> Sadistic sons of bitches. All right, so. Hopefully we'll see some more from Arya. It looks like we, from the trailer we will see some more of Arya next and, episode. And, are we, but, uh, and I just want to ask, are we going to see uh, Magical G- Jesus back again? Sexy Jesus? Uh, yeah, there, sexy he, Jesus. He's, uh, if you look at my breakdown of the trailer, yes, his arm actually shows up. Um, you see him in the trailer. That's him grabbing the stick away from her. Oh, Annie. shit. Yeah, Annie. if you go... Who is, you who can is. tell he, by who he was by his Go, go to my let article. There's no, no, I have a screen cap of it, and it's definitely Annie. his outfit. Annie's got some magical food hey, in there. She knows, how to, she knows how to find that shit. If I'm you're listening you. to this podcast, you can't get this kind of shit from any other website. Winner is Coming <laughs> is going to give you the breakdown of a mofo's arm. Okay, I'm just telling who is, you. Who is Sexy Jesus? I don't know who you mean by that. Jack and Hagar. Oh, okay, the guy that made her blind. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes, yes, Sexy Jesus. All right, respect. Uh, so, respect, respect. <laughs> so, um, let's let's leave Arya alone now. We, we've talked about everything else. Let's go back to the wall now. Let's let's finish this episode out strong. And let's uh, let's try to hold our gag reflexes back a little bit, and let's talk about that big, huge reveal of Melisandre removing the necklace and showing that she's actually Miracle Max from The Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> that was just don't rush the so... woman, sonny. You get rough miracles. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> <laughs> that was so... that's something that book readers knew was knew. We kind of suspected all along she was that old. Um, so it really wasn't a big surprise, but this, the the thing that stru- stood out to me was she's basically given up. She's she's basically just said, you know what, my I don't have the faith that I used to have. Uh, Stannis is dead. Um, I've 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 made sacrifices in the, in the name of the Red God, Relor, um, and none of it has worked out. Uh, and now Jon Snow is dead, and I saw him fighting. I saw him in the fires fighting as Winterfell burned, um, and. I don't know what to do. You know, like none of, none of it's working out anymore, and so I think her taking off the necklace, turning into the into the the whatever however old four hundred two hundred year old hag she is, and then going actually going to bed, which is something that Melisandre has been known in the books. She doesn't sleep and she doesn't eat. So she something that she, for her to actually climb into bed and go sleep is is like a symbolic gesture of her giving up, and. Something that has been brought to my attention by other of the commenters is this is exactly the point that Thoros of Mir got to as a red priest uh, of Ralor is he gave up on his faith as a red priest and he was at his lowest point and just as he gave up that's when he brought back Beric Dondarrion from de- from death so uh, I think I think maybe this might be a, a way to counterbalance Melisandre's powerful faith. With her giving up and hopefully, maybe bringing in Jon Snow's resurrection that way. I don't know if he if he even will be resurrected. We don't know. But um, Isis, what was your thoughts on that re- that that big huge twist or reveal, if you would have it? Okay, I, it was as a, as a non book reader or as unsullied as, as like you like to call me. Um, <laughs> I was completely shocked uh, about that reveal because the entire time uh, I had our one of our 
other friends who's on this podcast sometime, Bandit, just needling me about, oh, Jon Snow's dead, Jon Snow's dead. And as soon as I saw her and, like, she started taking off her, her dress, I was like, oh, my God, this is the moment that she is going to fuck Jon Snow back to life. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Are you watching this? Are you watching this right now? And then when she takes, the, the, like, the necklace starts to glow red and stuff like that, and then she takes it off, and then I saw my... 90-year-old great-grandmother naked. <laughs> Literally, like, that's what it reminded me of. I was like, ah, oh, my God, what just happened? And so um, I don't know what kind of powers that necklace she had, what, like, kind of Instagram filter, you know, <laughs> it's, like, fucking covered for everybody. Like, how do you not smell old skin? Like, I don't get it. So it was really, really kind of interesting. Old to skin me. has a smell. It does. It really oh, does. Never it does. had an elderly oh. relative. <laughs> they smell. Old people smell. Anyway, like they just, they just. I've euthanized some elderly relatives. <laughs> <laughs> like I took care of my nine-year-old great-grandmother and for a summer, and let me tell you, it it changes you. So let me tell you, it was just one of those situations where I was like, oh my god, this is absolutely ridiculous that she has given up. Like the entire episode, I felt like Melisandre was just really downtrodden. She was really, really sad, down on herself. But this really brought it to a whole nother level that she kind of revealed her true self you know this is a new this uh, is a new side of melisandre yeah yeah she's not no you know pretty young thing that we all thought she was and this is really who she is and it was just so it was so symbolic of how really I wish she's gone i wish i could have uh saved my screen i uh, my uh Google chat screenshots from Friday because Annie and I and Dan from Wicknet were all freaking out because those photos leaked and we were all just like, oh my god, those can't be real. Oh god damn it, those can't be real. And um, we were, were like, graphic. no. They were super somebody, Somebody's photoshopped the ghost from room 237 in here or this is Miracle Max's face on an old woman's body. Like, this isn't right. This isn't, this is not. Somebody's trying to play a trick on the fans of the show and it, the by by what was it by Friday night or Saturday morning, Annie? We knew that they were real, yeah. and and it was just like, oh god, oh my god, they really are going there. This is really going to happen. But um, Corey, what what did you what were what was your take on that reveal? How did you how did you feel? <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel, Corey? How did you feel? Tell me about your feelings. Okay, in your so... nether regions. Mm. In the pa- in the pantaloons. All right, this is keeps getting weirder. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess first off, I thought that was probably my favorite scene of the whole episode because there was so much there that they it was one of those moments that Game of Thrones does really well, where there are legitimately two different things you can interpret from uh, from that scene. There are there's a that the necklace itself gives her power to appear young and that her taking off that necklace for like the first time since early in the show, um, whenever she didn't look young again, which either could be a continuity error or tie into my second thing. But um, her revealing or her just like taking that risk of revealing her true self because a lot of her power comes from her appearance. And that's something that she knows 
And that's how she got Stannis on board in the first place was uh, by being hot. And uh, <laughs> by getting into bed, by, by not having the – God, just not having the energy to appear young anymore and just be like, you know what, puff, I'm old, I'm tired. I, I can't even. Yeah, exactly. And her getting into bed was very much – you know, like her giving up, like you said. But the problem with that is, I'm going to ramble here for a second. The problem with that is, it is very similar to the other guy, the drunk red guy that was bringing the other eye patched red guy. I'm sorry, I don't know names. Back from the <laughs> dead a lot. Like she had seen that happen and knew it was happening now. So if she knew that she could do that, if she believed in her God enough, why wasn't her first instinct to seeing Jon Snow that aha moment like, I know. This is when I can make my mark on this. I saw him fighting in the snow at wherever. It's like this. This is how it happens. I have to bring it back. Like that's to me. Her yeah. not recognizing that is kind of because she's very like smart. So like her not recognizing that was to me. Maybe she didn't trust her instincts and maybe she wasn't looking like that because she was so tired and beaten down. But the second thing is that the the theory that I've read now because you've seen the pictures of her character like taking a bath without the necklace on and still appearing young whenever the only the person in the room was Stannis's wife right mm-hmm. so the, I'm sure you all have read these series now but other you might not have that um, her power to appear young doesn't come from the necklace she can appear however she wants to appear the necklace maybe either makes it easier or or keeps the spell going or whatever or that her true believers like Stannis's wife see the old woman all the time and, so it's like uh, Photoshop. It's like um, – actually, my girlfriend said it's like season one of American Horror Story with the maid where uh, the guy sees the hot maid and the wife sees the old maid. And it's like she chooses to reveal herself like that because that's how she gets the power over yeah. you. Her being hot and showing herself as hot to Stannis' wife who already truly believed in the power of the red woman – Gets her nothing. Stannis was never a true believer. He just was looking for an edge. And, uh, you know. Which is why he banged her on the table. Exactly, right? So, like, that's. She had to keep that appearance up when he was there, but, you know, maybe we just weren't seeing. And I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but it's one of those moments in the show where legitimately I'm intrigued by where they're going and what's going to happen because she really did look defeated there. Something we haven't seen from her ever, even in the face of defeat. Until now, and and the last episode of last season. So, yeah, Annie, I do we? I agree with you. We, like she was confident through. She's been confident that she was on the right path throughout this whole entire, you know, show. And and this is really the kind of first inkling that you get. Like, oh my gosh, she is just broken down. And you know, I mean, you know, of course, I want her to go ahead and and fuck John back to life and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at the same time, I don't know if she's got it in her. I don't know if she's got it in her, you know, maje- you know, magic the JJ to bring him back to life because she is so beaten down. But I feel like um, those guys are going to bring her back. I think the the guys at the at Castle Black are going to be like, look, you need to snap out of it. I've seen what you've been able to do. You know, I need you young and beautiful again. And let's do this. 
Well, maybe it's Davos' faith in her that'll bring her back. I don't know. Maybe Davos believed in her for once. Well, and Davos hated her. Well, not, I don't want to say hated her, but he... Oh, he hated her. He He absolutely hated her. He hated her. Well, okay. He hated her and and for all the things that she she has done and, and what she represents and stuff like that. So I feel like that if he, you know, kind of snaps her out, if he pulls a Jamie... Uh, on her, you know, kind of tries to get her to snap out of it, that uh, that maybe she'll really will come back into her own, or that may be her last little ba-bam, and then she'll die. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we might see what happens next episode. We definitely know that the Night's Watch will continue to try to get in that room next episode, so I'm sure that we'll I'm not sure of anything. Hopefully we'll see something from Melisandre next episode. Uh, Annie, I want to ask you really quick before we uh, finalize Drop a finale on this on this podcast, but uh, let me ask you something. Do we know if that was Carice Van Hout- Van Houten in um in a, like a bodysuit? Because those eyes were really um. I believe they remind so. me of. I believe that was I believe, it eyes. Is, I believe it is actually her underneath all of the makeup. Yes. Okay, that's um, what I thought. But uh, I didn't. I didn't think it was an a- another actress. You know, and I I just. Um, you know, because Corey actually said this earlier, you know, we, we've gotten hints that the the Red God is actually the uh, one true religion and uh, the actual religion that's right. Um, to uh, Not not to uh, uh, harp on needing to read uh, Westeros history, but um, the Red God, if you actually go back and read about it and you study her religion, it's actually the religion that's based on what happened in the Long Night before, that... Right. Realor is coming back and that the great other is going to bring the White Walkers over the wall. Um, so theirs is actually the religion that has the right of it, um, which is why her losing faith now is such a powerful thing, mm-hmm. you know, because this is, you know, she's always, as Isis says, she's always believed in herself. She's always had that front that, you know, whatever it is she's doing, she looks in the flames, she sees that, she interprets that, she is right, end of story. And it's never, she's never questioned herself. You know, she saw Shireen burn, therefore she should be burning Shireen. Clearly that's the next step. Um, And it never occurred to her to ask, well, if that's the next step, what happens after that step? It's always been, well, that's the next step. Clearly that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, you know, seeing her beaten down like this and seeing her, you know, show her true form. It also, you know, there was an interview with her today um, afterwards, and uh, she said that being 400 years old actually kind of explains burning Shireen. Because Shireen's what, 13? Right. What's 13 mm-hmm. to a woman who's lived for 400 years? Right. Yeah. Like they're weighing the risk of killing one child compared to, to thousands and millions of other lives. Yeah, it makes yeah. her very. It, it makes her see everything in a much more meta way than most people in the show. And well, I, she told Stannis in season three. Was it season three or season two? She told Stannis, "I've seen more than you've ever seen." That was I've, season I've, two. I've been fighting a war longer than you have. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's a. Uh, so well, that's, you know, it, it, it's just interesting to me because that's that's a very much like a very classic philosophy about like God's omnipotence and is he is he um does he allow bad things to happen or do they happen and he can't stop them or, or whatever else. And she got very I guess up her own ass more than else about like, oh, I've been around for four hundred years. I know exactly how this is going down. You're the guy, Stannis and the blah, blah 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 and and you know, <laughs> this is more than just her, you know, questioning her faith and, and questioning her 
uh, abilities to see the future. I think it's it's maybe even her reckoning with the fact that she is not immortal and she is not, uh, which is another reason to take off the necklace. She's not immortal and she's not, um, you know, God. She is a messenger and she maybe has forgotten that. Yeah, and and, and and God has been showing her these things, and what did he lead her here for? She followed everything. She did everything he told her to do. She followed the flame. She saw all these things, and what are they, lies? What, what is the red God been lying to her this whole time? You know, it's that that's that's got to be a terrible feeling. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. Or, or maybe her thought is, maybe I've been on the wrong side. You know, I've been thinking that, that you know, I've been, you know, communicating with the red god and i really wasn't you know maybe i was being that's led, always a great point that's you know a great being point. led down a path and it's it's really in christian terms the devil has been leading me and i thought it was really my god so um i really feel like that that could be a situation you know as far as like us you know humans could could relate to relate that to uh that internal struggle what have i done was I being led down the right path or have I been led astray? And and then reconciling, hey, look at all the things that I did. Were they the right things? So anyway, it's just one of those situations. And I'm really interested. Yeah. They definitely made uh, Melisandre uh, not kind of like a, a you know, kind of a one pony kind of situation. She she's they've given her some depth, I feel like, than before yeah. she was just like she was just the the lady who had the ghost that come out of her coochie. Uh okay. I really feel like they really have given her some meteor kind of topics and and that whole the whole body thing, the whole I mean, I'm telling you like I took care of my 9-year-old grandmother for for a summer and I was just like holy crap that is accurate um so it was well again like the, the way that Game we're talking about this and the way that we're discussing like the theological aspect and how we've seen what her god can do again it just comes back to that's why that scene is the best scene in this episode it wasn't the fun action and it wasn't you know the 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 witty dialogue it was actually although don't get me wrong seeing a woman naked as we've talked about in this episode is in the top five things but um <laughs> but seriously they really did which is a funny in joke, but when it's all said and done, that scene is an example of why Game of Thrones is, has the following it has and is so great is because there wasn't a word spoken. It was shocking without being too revealing in, in a sense. Gratuitous. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it's just it was shocking. It was it was very real. It was very human from someone that we haven't seen humanity from at all. So, again, adding, like you said, Isis, her not being a one-trick pony anymore, it's made her character that much more intriguing. It's made the show that much better, and it was far and away for me the scene of the episode. Interesting thoughts, and those are all great thoughts. And that, with that being said, did anybody – I'm sure you all got a chance to watch the trailer for the next episode. So I'm going to ask you in turn, what stood out to you for episode two of season six, Isis Go? Okay, so I was really excited about Bran that like he I think his testicles dropped now and we haven't we haven't seen him since season 4. Exactly. So. And so he's a hell of a lot taller and stuff like that. And so I'm really interested to see where this is going to go uh with his storyline because we have not seen him in so long. It's like I, you know, I'm glad they didn't do it in this episode because I would have been annoyed with them bringing him in. But now that we've kind of, you know, wrapped 
I don't want to say a bow around a, a couple of storylines, one of them being Dorn. Yes, we wrapped that shit in a bow and kicked it out the door. But I, I feel like we're ready now to go ahead and give his storyline some justice. So I'm really interested to see what's going to happen to him. What about you, Corey? What, what stood out to you? Um, I don't know. I think finally getting to move Daenerys' story along because she didn't used to be so damn boring. And finally, <laughs> like finally getting to get her story to take a step in a direction that isn't her putting on a fancy blue dress and preaching. Like, I feel like that's, that's something I'm excited to see again is her having to fight to get to the top again because that was when she's been at her best as a character. So. I agree 100%. The Miranese not from a Dance with Dragons is the most boring part to me, that entire book. Annie, what stood out to you? Um, well, when I was breaking down the trailer, there was a moment that I wished that I had the ability to gif instead of just do a screenshot. And it's Ramsey, and he's standing in front of Bruce Bolton, who is eating dinner, looking at him coldly, saying, so Sansa and Theon escaped. And Ramsey is basically like, well, they, they went to the wall. We're pretty sure they went to the wall. You know, the South, the South Gate's not, we, we could take an army. And he's like shifting his weight back and forth from foot to foot. And he looks so nervous. And it's such a terrible idea that he's spewing, you know, to take an army to march on Castle Black is a bad idea in the summer months when there's no snow on the ground. And now he's basically saying, let's pack up the entirety of Winterfell's army and go march on the wall. I mean, it's especially, just... Especially if you're trying to win the North. I mean, side. that is such a desperation, stupid, Donald Trump-like idea. You know, it's just like, and you can just see Bruce Bolton like, Trump. what even? I will say that that wall is huge. It's a huge they wall. Just... It's a great wall. It's a great one. I don't even care. I don't, I don't even care. I don't, I, don't even, I don't even care. So, yeah, anyway, I just, like, that's actually seeing Ramsey not being in control and seeing him get kind of desperate, that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I'm with Isis. I'm really looking forward to seeing Bran, and hopefully we'll see some great flashbacks Hodor. in this episode. Um, Hodor. I, but I really, what, what I want to see is the resolution of the Night's Watch and the the men behind the door. I want to know if Ed will be able to bring the Wildlings back, and I have a bit of an idea of what will happen. I just am uh, hoping that I'm right about this, and if so, it's going to be a badass episode. But um, involving episode one two one. or yeah, episode two, episode two involving one one. Oh, we'll one see. one forever. Uh, one am, one forever. Am I, I going to have to videotape myself? Watching this episode? Oh, no, you'll just you'll just be really excited typing in all caps when it happens. Oh my but, gosh! Um, oh, okay, we'll see. But uh, hopefully, I don't know if that's going to happen. I just know that if Ed returns to the Wildlings, it might happen. But um, we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to to see what happens with the, that story. If um, they're going to continue that along, or if they're going to make it eke out into like episode three or four or five, we don't know. But hopefully, they'll resolve it quickly. Oh, and they're going to eke. <laughs> they're going to eke. You better believe that. But um, that's going to be it for tonight. Uh, we've run the podcast a little long, about an hour and 20 minutes tonight, but it's the first episode of the season, and that's kind of normal. You just wait till our finale. Hashtag oh my Coochie God. Ghost. Winter's coming. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next Are week. Are you afraid? You should be. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. A face will be added to the whole. You would spill blood in this holy place. The gods won't mind. 
Show them what Lannisters are. And make no mistake. The dead are coming. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things. They have no idea what's going to happen. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.